And to begin our message today, I want to ask you, how peace-filled do you feel at the moment? How full of peace do you feel right now? Because I don't know about you, but I wouldn't necessarily say that peace is one of the dominant emotions that I've been feeling over the last little while. And there's lots of very good reasons for that. So uh, we are now two years into COVID. So it hit me this week. This weekend is actually the two-year anniversary of the first weekend that we couldn't meet in person because the lockdown began. And I have very vivid memories at the time of them talking about this maybe going on for a few months and thinking, how is that possible? that this could last until the middle of the year. Surely not, that's crazy. Don't think anyone expected that two years later we would still be working through it and the reality is we're not out of the woods yet. So we are continuing to wrestle with all of the realities that are attached to COVID. Obviously there's a situation in the Ukraine and everything that kind of that brings to the surface for us about the long-term implications of what that might all mean. There's the issues that we've seen in Queensland and New South Wales around flooding in the last little while. And obviously that raises some bigger questions for us because when we put that together with the bushfires that have happened and the reality that the climate has clearly shifted, what does that mean for the future? And all of that is without even getting to anything that's affecting us personally. So the relationship challenges that we all face at different times, the financial struggles that we all go through, the health battles that we're wrestling with, the big questions about life that we all face, those things get added in as well. And so it's really, really hard, given all of that, to say, yes, I am someone who's filled with peace. I'm experiencing a lot of peace and comfort in my life right now. Today, we're continuing our series that's called In the Upper Room, where we're taking some time as we move our way towards Easter to spend time with Jesus and his disciples on the night before his crucifixion and to be able to lean in and listen to some of the things that Jesus talks about and to see the things that Jesus was most passionate about and most focused on during these final moments leading up to his death on the cross. And today we're going to explore these words of comfort and peace that Jesus gives to his disciples and what it looks like for us to receive the gift that he says he has to offer us which is something that I think we are all yearning for and craving. So you have your teaching notes that you hopefully grabbed on the way in. So if you want to jot things down throughout today's message uh, so you can think about it during the week, feel free to do that. And we are going to be spending uh, all of our time in John chapter 14, but we're going to be jumping around a little bit. So if you do have your Bible with you, you might want to open up to that so that you can just kind of see where we're at. Quick reminder about the context of what's going on here. So as I said, we're in the upper room with Jesus. They have gathered to celebrate the Passover feast, which Jesus knows is going to be his last meal with his disciples. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this dramatic thing where Jesus knelt down and washed his disciples' feet, a staggering act of servanthood that Jesus gave as a model for his disciples and for us to be able to follow. Last week, we then explored the reality that Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. And in that same passage, we also see Jesus talking to Peter about the reality, how Peter was going to deny that he even knew Jesus. So there's a lot going on in this room. And if you can imagine yourself as one of the disciples, again, you probably wouldn't say that peace was the dominant emotion that you're feeling right now. It's all of this stuff that's coming. Jesus is talking about dying. It's all of these things swirling, these betrayal, denials, all of this going on. If you were one of Jesus' disciples, you'd probably be freaking out more than a little bit. And that's why it's so staggering that Jesus says these words as we begin John chapter 14. Verse 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. 
and trust also in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. This is a really, really big question for us to wrestle with. Can we actually trust God? Is God trustworthy? And particularly when we go through difficult times, when we go through uncertain times, can we actually trust God? Can we rely on God? Does he understand what we're going through? Does he actually have hope and comfort to offer us in the midst of the challenges that we face? Is he actually able to ease the troubles in the deepest parts of us right in our hearts? So what I want to do today is to be able to look at the words that Jesus says and to recognise all of these reasons why we can trust God. Because Jesus gives us lots and lots of reasons to say, well, you can trust God because of this. So first of all, Jesus says we can trust God because we know where we're going. In verse 2, Jesus says, there's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. I don't know about you, but when I go away on a trip, I like to plan things out. I like to know where we're going. I like to know where we're going to be staying. I like to know a little bit about what's going to happen. And I love the fact that because of the internet now, when we do book somewhere online, we can see exactly what it's going to be like. There's no questions. I know exactly what all the rooms are going to be like. I know we can work out who's going to sleep where, plan all of that out. It's really, really great to be able to say, yes, I know where we're going. But it's really, really great too when we go and visit someone and someone says, actually, come and stay with us. Don't worry about booking somewhere. You can come and stay. We've got a room for you. Everything's going to be taken care of. Everything will be set up. You can just arrive and just be. It creates this sense of excitement, this sense of anticipation, this sense of peace. Okay, everything's taken care of. That's really, really great. And that's what Jesus is saying that he does for us. It's this beautiful picture of Jesus saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I love that picture. Just imagine Jesus kind of making the beds, putting some chockies on the pillow, maybe making some swans out of towels, getting everything ready for us so that when we arrive, it's like it's all done. It's already there for us. And not only that, but Jesus says there's plenty of room. There's plenty of space. Everything's going to be ready. We can trust God because we know that's where we're going. Ultimately, that's our final destination. And so we can have a sense of excitement, anticipation about it, but also this sense of peace. Jesus has got this all under control. But Jesus also says that we can trust God because we know who we're following to get there. In verse 4, Jesus says, And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus says, you know where you're going and you know how to get there. And Thomas speaks up and he's like, "Uh, I I don't. (laughs) I don't know where we're going. Help me out here, Jesus. Not sure how to get there. And Jesus responds with some of the most familiar words that we know about Jesus. I am the way, the truth and the life. Jesus says, I am the way. All you have to do is follow me. You don't need a roadmap. You don't need GPS. You don't need a set of instructions. All you have to do is keep your eyes on me and follow me and you'll get to where you need to be. He says, I am the truth. I'm the one who speaks truth about the way that things are. The one who speaks the deepest truths possible to the core of your spirit and soul. And he says, I'm the life. 
I'm the one who gives you the opportunity to experience life the way that it's supposed to be now and life the way that it's supposed to be for eternity. But then he says this fascinating statement. No one can come to the Father except through me. And sometimes this can be seen as a very exclusive statement. Jesus effectively saying, it's my way or the highway. If you don't do things exactly the way I've told you, then you're out. You miss out. So you better make sure that you do it right. But I think there's another way of being able to interpret what Jesus is saying here that's actually radically inclusive. Because what Jesus is really trying to say here is if you want to try and get to God, if you want to try and get to that final destination by yourself, on your own, your way, you can't get there. There's not actually enough that you can do. You can't get your life together enough. You can't be perfect enough to pull this off. It just can't happen. The only way that you can get to God is by trusting me, is by believing that I can do what you can't do yourself. So we know that we can trust God because we follow Jesus. It's not up to us to have to work hard enough to try and earn it, to try and prove ourselves. And that releases a huge burden from us. It releases the anxiety and the uncertainty that we can wrestle with. Have I done enough? Have I got myself together enough? What about that time that I messed up? What about that thing that I did? Is that going to get in the way of me being able to go where Jesus wants me to go? The questions about whether God cares about us, all of those things are lifted because Jesus says it's not about you. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. And so he sets us free to be able to experience the comfort that can only come from him that we are accepted, that God does love us, that God does embrace us, that God does welcome us because of Jesus, not because of us. Jesus continues and he says we can also trust God because we know what God is like. In verse 7, Jesus says, If you'd really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and we'll be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work that you have seen me do. This is a huge part of why we talk so much about being Jesus-centred, because we believe that Jesus shows us exactly what God is like. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get a bit kind of confused, a bit frustrated, like, what is God actually like? Particularly when we read some of the passages in the Old Testament, it's like, what is God actually like? But Jesus says, if you want to know what God's like, look at me. We believe that Jesus is God who has come to us in human form. And that Jesus is the full, complete embodiment of God. If you want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've heard me, you've heard the Father. If you've seen the things that I'm doing, that's not me. That's the work that God is doing. And so when we look at Jesus' actions, when we listen to Jesus' words, when we see the people that Jesus spends time with, when we see the way that Jesus radically loves people, and we see the things that Jesus is passionate about and that are most important to Jesus, all of that is exactly the same 
with God. So we can have a huge sense of confidence because when I look at Jesus, I think Jesus is pretty amazing. And that's what God is like. That gives us a huge sense of trust. Jesus then says that we can trust God because we know that we're not alone. In verse 16, Jesus says, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. And in verse 26, he says, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I've told you. Jesus says, after I'm gone, you're not going to be on your own. In actual fact, you're going to have someone who's going to be so close to you, right there with you. And the Holy Spirit is given lots and lots of different names, our advocate, our counsellor, our comforter. The Holy Spirit is the one that we believe is with us, is in us, works through us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to be able to connect intimately and deeply with God. In Romans chapter 8, we're told that the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to pray, sometimes even when we pray just with groans that words can't express. And when we think about living in uncertain times, when we think about the struggles that we're facing, I don't know about you, but sometimes I hit that point where I'm just like, I've got nothing left to say anymore. It's all that I've got. Just the deep groan. God, how is this happening? The Holy Spirit's able to take those groans and to interpret exactly what we mean so that God can understand completely what it is that we're saying. The Holy Spirit knows us inside and out, and the Holy Spirit knows God inside and out and joins us together. So we can trust God because even when we go through the hardest times that we go through, God's not distant and far away. God knows exactly what we're thinking. God knows exactly how we're feeling. God knows exactly what we're going through. That gives us a huge sense of confidence to be able to trust him, that he hasn't forgotten about us, he hasn't left us, he's with us. Jesus also says that we can trust God because we know what's most important. In verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, obey my commandments. In verse 21, he says, Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I'll love them and reveal myself to each of them. And then in verse 23, Jesus says, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Jesus makes it really simple for us to understand what is most important to God. It's one word, love. At the end of the day, it's all about love. And what's fascinating here is that Jesus says the reason why we obey Jesus, the reason why we follow Jesus, the reason why we put into practice the commandments that Jesus gives us, the teaching that Jesus gives us, is because of what? Love. But what does Jesus say is the most important commandment? The most important part of his teaching is Love God and love people. So this is really, really fascinating when you stop and think about it. Jesus says the most important thing to do is to love. But why do we do the things that Jesus asks us to do? Because of love. And when we do what Jesus asks us to do, what do we end up doing? Loving. It's staggering. It reminds us that the core of everything about God is always about love. Always. And so we can completely trust God because of that. So it's incredible to think about what Jesus says just in these few verses. We can trust God because we know where we're going. 
We can trust God because we know who we're following. We can trust God because we know what God is like. We can trust God because we know that we're not alone. And we can trust God because we know what's most important. At the end of the day, it's all about love. But Jesus then finishes by saying, we can trust God because the peace of God is fundamentally different. In verse 27, he says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Jesus says, I've got something for you that you cannot get anywhere else. Something that the world cannot offer you. Peace. So it's fascinating for us to stop and think about, well, what is the peace that the world seems to want to offer us? Because we're bombarded with advertising every single day that tells us, if you do these things, your life will be great and you'll experience peace. But what's at the core of that? Comfort. Ease. Everything's great. You don't have any problems whatsoever. You've got no issues if you just buy this. If you just get a more comfortable couch, you'll experience a sense of peace. If you just have a bigger TV, you'll have a sense of peace. If your car was better, if your house was better, you'll have a huge sense of peace. It's all there just waiting for you. But does it actually give us peace? Well, maybe for a little while first couple of times that we sit in the couch, it is pretty peaceful. First couple of times we watch TV, but then it becomes normal. And actually the other stuff that's going on in our lives hasn't gone away. And so it's there, but then it's gone. The world's peace is given to us because of our circumstances. The peace that we can get from the world is only because of what's happening to us or what we've got. It's because of our circumstances. The difference is that Jesus offers us peace despite our circumstances. The world offers us peace because of our circumstances. Jesus offers us peace despite our circumstances. Even when things aren't right, even when we're struggling, even when we go through hard times, Jesus says, my peace is available for you. That gift doesn't go away. It's there. In another part of the Bible, it talks about that peace being something that goes beyond understanding. I always like to say that means that it doesn't actually make sense given the circumstances that we're in. The peace that goes beyond understanding is peace that shouldn't actually be available to us given what we're facing in that moment. Jesus says, yes, actually, it is. So for our reflection time today... I want to give us an opportunity to be able to receive this gift that Jesus wants to give to us. To do that, I want to give you an opportunity to be able to do something uh, with your body. Sometimes it's helpful for us to be able to do things that symbolically demonstrate what it is that we're thinking about or what it is that we're processing. And so if you feel comfortable in a couple of moments, I'm going to invite you to put your hands out because this is a very powerful posture which demonstrates two things at the same time. First of all, it says, I'm letting go. So I'm letting go of all of the concerns, all of the frustrations, all the anxieties, all the fears that I've got. Normally what we do is this, hold on to them. I hold on to them tight because I've got to have some sense of control or if I can just take back control, then I'll feel better. This is a very different posture. And so part of what we're going to do during this time is to have an opportunity to say, what are the things that we need to give to Jesus to let go? And say, I hand this over 
to you. But this posture is also the posture of receiving. When we put our hands out, we're saying, I receive what's being offered to me. I allow that to be placed in my hands. So if you feel comfortable, and if you don't, you can just close your eyes and do this in your mind. But I would love you to feel comfortable to put your hands out and to take this time to be able to reflect and say, what do I need to release? What do I need to give to Jesus? And what is this peace that he's offering me that will replace that? And take some time to receive the gift that Jesus is offering this morning. Take the time. Jesus, we thank you that you've shown us how much we can trust God. That over and over and over again, you show us that God is trustworthy. We can place our trust and our faith in our Heavenly Father because of you, because of what you've done for us, because of what you've shown to us, because of what you've taught us, because of your life, your death, and your resurrection. We can trust which is a huge beginning point for us to be able to experience peace. 
you know the reality of all of the situations that each one of us is facing, the things that are happening at a global level, the things that are happening in our individual lives. And we thank you that that's another reason why we can trust you, because you're not distant and far off and lacking understanding. You know exactly what we're going through. You know exactly what we're tempted to hold on to as we sit here this morning. And so our prayer is that you would help us to release those things, to let go, to hand them over to you and to allow you instead to replace them, to replace them with the peace that goes beyond understanding, the gift of peace that you can give that is not because of our circumstances but despite our circumstances, the peace that often doesn't even make any sense given what we're going through. Our desire is to live as people of peace, people who have so much peace in our lives, so much of a sense of comfort, so much of a sense of hope that it's not just for us, but as we then encounter the people that we interact with as we move into this week, that we've got the opportunity to be able to give them a sense of peace, to give them a sense of comfort, to give them a sense of hope because of what you're doing in our lives. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for your peace. In your name we pray. Amen.